I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 24th, 1997. We are at the Shrine Auditorium with host, the MC himself, the Master of Ceremonies, Billy Crystal, at the 69th Annual Academy Awards, honoring the best movies of 1996. And it is time for the big award of the night. The envelope, please. And the Oscar goes to the English patient, Saul Zapp. Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, please, everyone. This is the podcast where we're watching and discussing every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. And we're your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. (laughs) And welcome back. I guess we can call this season three, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We took a... We took a little break, you know, just to to rest our laurels a bit. Yes, to regain yes. sanity. Sometimes you have to step away. <laughs> There's just so many long movies at this period of Oscar. <laughs> it's just like, I, I don't, it, it was in the 80s, I think they said, like, well, an Oscar winner has to be three hours long. And they have really adhered to that the last few years english patient is almost three hours next year we have the mother of all uh long movies winning best picture i mean braveheart forrest gump yes they're long these epics i guess you could say you know the 80s kind of developed that the 90s really took that and boy did they run with it and we have another one this week yes we do let's get into our ceremony a little bit here um, was there anything that happened for the first time? I found a couple of things. This is the first time where the winner for best score went to a woman. Rachel Portman won for her score for the movie Emma. Uh, but I wanted to ask you a further question about this. We, we start seeing the score category broken into two separate groups. We have dramatic score and also musical comedy score. Do you like that they did that at the Oscars for it only happened for a couple of years, but what do you think of that? I mean, I think it's I, I don't know I don't understand I don't know all the politics as to why this happened. Um, but I do think if you're not gonna split up everything else, then you shouldn't split this up. I agree because we saw you know back in the 60s when we were um, splitting up things into black and white categories and color categories which I think made a little bit more sense not really but a little bit more sense I could see where they were coming from at least but I think this is yeah a little ridiculous and redundant and just not necessary <laughs> it's not necessary with with those it was just art direction and, and costume design and cinematography, cinematography right? yeah and and you, it made some sense for that because you, uh, with an even mix of color and black and white movies being made at the time, you know, you have, you, a lot of times when you costume something for black and white, you're actually not using the color you might think it would. It's like requires a different type of um, eye. With this, you could argue that a musical or comedy film requires a different type of ear, but I personally think that if we don't split up by genre in any other way then no don't do it couldn't agree with you more and the fact that it's even called like original dramatic score versus original musical or comedy score what's to say a musical isn't also incredibly dramatic like a west side story you know what i mean to me there's just there's too much gray area there and it just doesn't sound it doesn't doesn't make sense to me well i mean i I think I ultimately, like, that's part of the reason why the Golden Globes are kind of like, meh, bigger for me, because I... <laughs> yes, shit on the Globes, shit on the Globes. <laughs> because, I mean, like, what is, what is, uh, uh, you know, like, um, I'm trying to think of what the nominees were uh, this year, but, you know, West Side Story in a category with, uh, wh- who, wh- who were the nominees? Like, licorice I mean, like, pizza. 
Yeah, no, it just, like, doesn't... Um, I was thinking more like a Barbin star. I don't think it was nominated. If it wasn't nominated, it should have been. But I um, mean, Yeah, it's just, like, you get movies that have nothing in common uh, because because there's this idea that a musical is somehow like a comedy, and there is musical comedy, and there is musical. Totally. So, totally, um, yeah. I don't Very like bizarre. it. I, I like the fact that it led to some nominations that might not have happened. Hmm. Um. And we will get into that because there is something I want to highlight. So very true. Very true. We also have another first this year. This is the first year where a husband and wife win Oscars for acting and directing. We have Frances McDormand taking home the gold for her performance in Fargo, which she was directed in by her husband Joel Cohen. Um, yeah, very cool, right? Someone to be, to win an award <laughs> for a movie that was directed by your husband. I think it's very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's not her last, though. She's got a lot. <laughs> it's not her last, but is it her best? You see something down there, Chief? No, I just think I'm gonna barf. That's a question yes. for another yes. episode. He says yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I just think that of... The three movies that she won Best Actress for, I think we all know what people are going to be watching for decades to come, right? I agree. I agree. Yes, I yeah. do. Um, all right, what about you? What did you find about this ceremony? Um, well, this is a fun ceremony. We uh, we get a... Um, it's appropriate that we started off talking about musicals because a very big musical person gets the honorary award this year. That's Michael Kidd, who was a choreographer and known for doing one of your favorite musicals. Um, seven brides for seven brothers. <laughs> we love there to we see go. it. We love to see it. Come on, love to see it. Um, and um, this uh, Oscar ceremony um, was, of course, hosted for the what? What number time here is this for him? Uh, the fifth time for Billy Crystal. So he's Damn. he's basically like the new Bob Hope. Yes. At this point, um, and I think he ends up doing it like. How many times? Like 11? Something like that? Definitely, yeah, definitely. I think double digits for sure. Are, how confident are we at I mean, at I'm like I 70% sure. <laughs> like, a, like a solid 70. <laughs> uh, nine times. I Really close. That was really close. But if you look at it, he goes from 90 to 93, and then he does it again in 97, 98, 2000, 2004, 2012. So there's like this every couple years thing going on with Billy Crystal right now. And that's certainly how I remember the Oscars. I think about Billy Crystal intrinsically connected. Billy and Whoopi are the ones who I think about. Which, Whoopi could not make the Oscars this year. She was too busy releasing her theatrical, perhaps the the pinnacle of her uh, theatrical success, Theodore Rex. Do me a favor. Don't tip, don't twirl, don't swirl. Just walk like a man. A movie... (laughs) No, you don't. You dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> Everyone just needs to Google the uh, like the cover art for that movie. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no. There are so many, you know, like there's so many things I won't be able to get into as far as spotlights and, and snubs go this week, including Kazam with Shaq. And... <laughs> I do have to mention, before we get into our snubs and our spotlights, um, the birth of my favorite GIF happened in 1996. Mm. Okay? And this particular movie was uh, written by a a friend of mine. His name is Stan Zimmerman. And um, he was one of the writers for a very Brady sequel which has a subplot where Jan pretends to be dating somebody named George Glass. And whenever <laughs> whenever Marsha first learns of this, she says, Sure, Jan. And I use the Sure Jan gif all the time. It's my favorite <laughs> As gif. you should. And it was born before we knew what gifts were in 1996. Oh, thank God for that. Thank God for that. <laughs> You're welcome. For that bit of history, that important bit of history. And you know what? That sounds like a perfect transition into snubs, because I'm sure you would have loved to have seen the Brady Bunch movie in all categories it was eligible for. I mean, 
I think I probably would watch that more than any movie that won this year, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. What other movies do you think missed out on nominations? Hit me up. I think we're going to agree on a few of these, actually. First off, there is a there's an incredible, incredible movie, comedy, absolutely fantastic, called The Birdcage that came out this year. What about me? What do I do? Do I just stand here like an object? No. You do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do fussy, fussy, fussy. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. Or Twyla, Twyla, Twyla. Or Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd. Or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside. Yep, I knew you would. I knew yes, you agree yes, with me. Yes, and yes, The yes, Birdcage yes, yes. is about um, uh, a son coming home with his uh, very uh, religious, uh, uh, is it fiancé? I think it's fiancé. Wife, fiance. Yes, yes, yep. fiance. Fiance's and, family, and her family, um, to their to their very very gay uh, flat in um, in Florida, and uh, they um, he he wants his dads to butch it up and have his his mom played by Christine Bransky come and and still be, pretend to be married to the dad, um, which the dad is. Uh, Nathan Lane, right? Well, the dad's actually it... Robin Williams. No, it's Rob- it's Robin Williams. I'm kidding. That's the biological um, father. Yes, Robin Williams is the biological father. Nathan Lane is the is his actual partner. <laughs> his other father. <laughs> his other partner. Partner, and um, they have a houseboy that's played by Hank Zaria. That is so funny. Genius. And um, but it's such it's such um, it, it's so out of what you would expect from 1996. Am I right? Like, um, kind of in the same vein as when we talked about Tu Wong Fu last year. Um, actually, we talked about it last year, and we the last episode last year. Wow. Yes, um, that's, right. that's very right. It's this very, like, empathetic betrayal of gay characters that um, really, really uh, shows some strides that... I don't even associate with 1996, so it's so weird to me. But in snubs, I, I it should be represented somewhere, but I think adapted screenplay would be a great place to put this. And I also think um, a nomination, perhaps for like Christine Baranski for supporting actress, would have been just lovely. I'm saying her, first of all. I probably will say her name in the future with any movie that she stars in because I just like Christine Baranski so much and want her to have more than her Emmy and her, uh, I think she has a Tony, um, her Emmys. I think she may have more than one. Um, anyway, so that is my first snub. Love that. It, do you want to piggyback on anything about The Birdcage? Sure, I would just say, for me personally, I think the nomination should go to Hank Azaria for Supporting Actor, and oh. I would have loved to have seen Nathan Lane and Robin Williams represented in Lead Actor. They're both, it's kind of one of those situations where you don't want to nominate one without the other, because they just bounce off each other so well, but I would have loved to have seen at least one of them in the race. So good. But far and away, I think Hank Azaria gives the funniest performance in the movie. He's it's hysterical. so good. So I yeah I concur nominated anywhere but those those are my favorites. Uh, two Tonys, one Emmy. I just checked. Okay, there it is F- for Christine Baranski. All right. Um, so I'm a little confused about the qualifications on this one, so I'm just gonna name check it real quickly. There's a documentary that came out this year that was nominated for a bunch of Emmys, but it had a theatrical run before it aired on HBO. So. I don't know if it just didn't run long enough in theaters, but if it remotely qualified, The Celluloid Closet should have been nominated for Best Documentary mm-hmm. because it is one of the best. It is still, I think, even 25 years later, the best documentary about the history of homosexuality on film. Go seek it out if you haven't seen it. Um, I'm going to s- mention a snub for something I haven't seen. <laughs> okay. Bring it on. And it'll make sense. Um I have not seen this movie, but I've listened to the original score so many times, and the movie itself can't be as good as the as the score as the movie I've imagined to the score a billion times. But it's Dragonheart.
and oh it should have been nominated my. for original score. <laughs> yes! Should yes. it not? Yes. Yes, yes. Most I'm sure everyone beautiful. knows that score. Most beautiful score. Gorgeous. Um, and it's a, it's an intrinsic part, part of the Universal Studios experience, if you... Yes, it is. If you ever go. Yes, um, I'm going to save one snub, because I think you're going to talk about it. Fair. Okay. Um, then we have... I got two more. Okay. Then we have, in all categories... <laughs> that so excited. What is it? <laughs> that thing you do. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> that thing you do is such a fun movie. It oh, is god, directed. Yeah. It's the directorial debut of Tom Hanks, who has a supporting role in the movie as well, and it is about a group uh, a, a a small town rock and roll group in the early 60s that forms um called The Wonders. Okay, and they become a one-hit wonder with the song "That Thing You Do," which was nominated for best original song, but should have won best original song because it is a great song. Do do it. You don't don't do me. Put, <laughs> cut like one line because I my voice cracked when I did it. So you <laughs> just clip that in real quick. But it should have been nominated for Best Picture, Best Direction, Best, uh, uh, I think it was original, Screenplay. Um, the editing is fantastic in this movie. It clips right along. The art direction is great. The costume design is great. This movie is fantastic. Love and that. I totally stan it. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. All right, what's your final snub? Okay, this is the one I'm most serious about. This is a snub that almost got a nomination. It was very much in the conversation the entire season, and then didn't happen. And then the person who was snubbed would then reference this as a snub jokingly for many years afterwards, and that is Debbie Reynolds for the movie Mother. That's what I was uh, waiting for. Okay, yes. <laughs> starring and... Uh, and written and directed by the one, the only Albert Brooks, who is one of my favorite writers. And I would totally put him up for screenplay here, too. This is a great little movie about a writer in L.A. who doesn't think he can write anything good anymore because he has to... It, or excuse me. He doesn't think um, he can have a successful relationship because of his original bad relationship with his mother, who... Um, he thinks greatly prefers his brother to him and there's all these other you know kind of under the surface we don't talk about the issues going on between him and his mom so he decides to fix that he's going to go live with his mom until they can work out their issues so he goes up <laughs> from la to sarasota where she lives and um then lives with his mom for a while and it's just a bunch of scenes of albert brooks and debbie reynolds getting to know each other and he, albert brooks wanted Debbie Reynolds, like, he saw her to potentially play his mom, but it actually, he was friends with Carrie Fisher, and he got Carrie Fisher to show her the script, and Debbie Reynolds had not done a theatrical film, in a re especially a starring role, in many, 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 many years at this point. And so this was very much a comeback movie. It was after this movie that she got in and out and Will and Grace, and this was kind of the Debbie Reynolds revival. But she is... This is one of the very few times, it's a comedy drama, but it's one of the very few times that, you know, Debbie Reynolds isn't like what we think of Debbie Reynolds being, singing, dancing, you know, being the bubbly personality. Like, it's it's taking that persona and twisting it so that you can see this kind of, like, um, embittered person that's, that's underneath, who's put on this surface that... Um, is very relatable and probably very much like the co the conversations you'll have with your mom, but there's something else going on of a person who lost the life that they wanted when they were younger. And uh, mm. Debbie's just fantastic in it, and I really, really wish she had gotten at least a nomination. Love that. I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I agree with all of those snubs. All right, I have a couple more that I'm going to add. Um, one that I'm a bit more serious about, and that's in the original screenplay category for Kevin Williamson's screenplay of Scream. What's your favorite scary movie? 
I didn't is that say it because here? I knew you would. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I think it's one of the most genius horror screenplays ever written. It's something that we are still referencing and even remaking today. Very iconic. A lot of influence from that script. Deserves a nomination. And then one I'm a little less serious about, but also kind of not. <laughs> and this would be leading actress for Glenn Close in 101 Dalmatians. Listen, Glenn Close. Oh my god. Oh is my god. Fabulous in that movie. It is rather amusing, isn't it? <laughs> what is? Well, if we make this coat, it would be as if I were wearing your dog. <laughs> woof, woof. <laughs> she, is she is so over the top, but in the perfect way. I don't know. I think it's genius. I love it. <laughs> I could totally see her sneaking into the actress race, and I would not be mad about it. <laughs> I mean, if I get Debbie Reynolds, you can have Glenn Close. That's plus a fair trade. That's I, a fair trade. Plus, I very much remember seeing that movie in theaters when it came out. Because you remember I'm old. This is true. Than you. Yes, and uh, I went with my Aunt Carrie to see that on Thanksgiving weekend, and um, I it's been in my head ever since. I saw 102 I Dalmatians in the theaters, too. I Well, listen, uh, I feel like whenever when people think of Glenn Close, they kind of think of Cruella de Vil. It's very If they don't think of Fatal Attraction, they correct. may think of Fatal Attraction. They think of either that or, you know. Or they think correct. about her... The one good thing at the Oscars last year, whenever she got down and dirty. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. None of that. Less of that this year, please. Less of that. All right, let's dig a little deeper. Let's get into a couple of spotlights here. The one that I want to spotlight is a movie very near and dear to my heart that I watched over the the lockdown. And it's a movie called Secrets and Lies, a Mike Lee film, which did get a slew of nominations this year, including picture, director, screenplay, actress, supporting actress, just to name a few. Um, I love this movie. It is about the character named Hortense, who is a black optometrist who decides to seek out her birth mother after the death of her adoptive mother. And she discovers that her actual mother, whose name is Cynthia, is a lower-class white woman who works at a box-making factory. And Cynthia has never discussed this child that she gave up years ago for adoption with any of her other family members who are in her life now. So the two, Hortense and Cynthia, strike up a friendship after meeting, and that becomes a catalyst Uh, for other family secrets to start being revealed. It's a movie that definitely, like, shows itself in layers the further deep you get into it. But I think this movie is so important because it teaches us, as we're watching it, that it's so much healthier to share our pain, to share what is giving us pain, the trauma we have in our lives, to share that with others, to sort of to sort of like give yourself relief, right? Because in doing so, we're going to find that we're not all that different. And more often than not, we're usually experiencing a lot of the same things. Um, Timothy Spall, who's also in this movie, gives a great performance. He plays uh, Cynthia's mother. Or no, wow, wrong. He plays Cynthia's brother, Maurice. <laughs> and he's got a great <laughs> line near the end of this movie where he's begging his family just to share their pain and stop harboring resentments. Because that's what starts to happen. If you bury things down, you're going to build resentments toward people. So I just think it's a great overall theme and overall message. Uh, but the part of this movie that I really want to give a special shout out and spotlight to is the performance of Brenda Blevlin, who plays Cynthia, the white mother. Um, She's phenomenal. She's absolutely phenomenal, and I think definitely was the closest um, contender to knocking off Frances McDormand's win here uh, in Fargo. There is a standout scene in this movie where she receives the first phone call from Hortense acquiring about her adoptive mother. And Bledlin plays this scene with such a ferocious sense of terror because she's heartbroken that this is coming to light again, the secret that she's buried away for years, decades, in fact, and it's finally coming to the surface. And she never thought that she was going to have to deal with it, but here it is on her plate. And it's just devastating watching, you know, this the past finally catch up with her. And she cries and she shrieks into the phone 
It is just some of the best acting that I think I've ever seen. And she fully deserves the nomination. And I guess if we were to continue to having an argument about this, I could even be swayed for her to win over Frances McDormand. It is that good of a performance. I mean, you do have the hindsight of knowing that Frances wins again, so... Truth. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yes. <laughs> um, well, those are fantastic highlights. Spotlights. Yes. Thank you. What about you? What do you want to spotlight? Um, I would like to... Uh, first spotlight... I'm going to name check a couple things first. All right. Um, you know how I like to name check. Um, yes. Give it a <laughs> First of all, I um, I feel like it's a career nomination, but I really like seeing Lauren Bacall in the supporting actress race. I just wanted <laughs> to say that. Um, mm-hmm. And she does do a very good job playing Barbara Streisand's mom and uh, The Mirror Has Two Faces, um, which is, to date, the last film directed by Miss Barbara Streisand. Um, I also want to mention that because we have the musical or comedy score situation that means that we do get a nomination for the first wives club which does have great whimsical music by mark shaman who uh whose names will be mentioned many more times in the future of music but um i have to say that we're first wives club uses music very very well and even though this doesn't count as part of their musical score i think it probably has the best ending of any movie ever when um you know what i'm talking about Whenever Diane Keaton, Goldie Hawn, and Bette Midler sing You Don't Own Me. You don't own me. Don't try to change me in any way. You don't own me. Don't tie me down because I'll never stay. Which was originally by Leslie Gore. And they do a really fun version of that song where they end up kind of marching down the streets of new york as they finish um and it's just so empowering to watch and if you're ever having a bad day i encourage you to pull up that clip it's not technically part of the musical score but i'm using this opportunity to talk about it (laughs) then finally i would like to spotlight um one of my favorite plays was turned into a movie this year uh that is the crucible Ooh, yay! Okay, good. I'm glad you're bringing this up. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Um, And it uh, isn't super represented throughout the nominations. Joan Allen did get a nomination. I mean, I personally would have loved to have seen Winona in that race again, because I love her in all things. But um, I am so happy and really want to spotlight the incredible uh, adapted screenplay from his own play, Um, by Arthur Miller. Yes, that Arthur Miller married to Marilyn Monroe. He was still alive in the late 90s, and he is credited for the screenplay for The Crucible, which is just such a beautiful literate... It's so interesting, too, that it's up against adapted screenplay against Hamlet, because I feel like Arthur Miller is almost like a modern-day or a 1950s Shakespeare, if you will. Um, with the way he's so lyrical with his language and everything kind of has this flow to it. And I think the film version of of The Crucible does a really good job of capturing something that is, you know, very, I think, hard to translate from stage to screen. Um, But I particularly, I just decided to to give you a line. Because it is my name! Because I cannot have another in my life! Because I lie and sign myself to lies! Because I am not worth the dust on the feet of them you have hanged. I have given you my soul. Leave me my name! It's just a whole script full of just beautiful dialogue um, like that. And I'm so happy that Arthur Miller uh, got that nomination. Yet we gave the Oscar to Billy Bob Thornton. It ain't got no gas in it. You see there, Scooter? Thinks of the simplest things first. <laughs> it's more beautiful when you... <laughs> <laughs> we did. That we did. Um, that we did. That we did. Okay. Okay. Yes. It's time. Let's move on. Okay. Let's talk about the main event here. Our best picture winner... 
the English patient. All right, quick summary for you guys. The English Patient is about the final days of World War II, where a French nurse whose name is Hannah takes a heavily burned and dying patient into an abandoned monastery to give him comfort in his final hours. And to pass the time, the patient recounts his life in flashbacks, revealing his identity and the forbidden love affair that he was involved in before the war. So I'm going to break this movie down into some numbers here just to give people a context for how massive this movie uh, actually was in 1996. As you said, close to three hours long. It cost $30 million to make, made $230 million, was nominated for 12 Academy Awards, and took home nine of them, tying for third place for most wins with Gigi and The Last Emperor. So my first question to you, Rance. I forget. Was this your first time watching? It was. So then give me your your gut reaction when you finished it. Give me a, I liked it, I didn't like it. A thumbs up or a thumbs down? What did you think? Um, to lead into that, may I say, <laughs> what I think is interesting about the English patient is that, uh, you know, I have a few people in my life who will occasionally ask me how the podcast is and what movie we're on and stuff. And there are a couple people who are very nice who ask who don't necessarily aren't necessarily that familiar with film. Okay. Um, And the English patient got so many quizzical expressions like people don't remember this movie at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing that I thought was so bizarre about it is that, you know, you say Braveheart or Forrest Gump or Schindler's List Um, or the Silence of the Lambs, you know, you get very, like, people have thoughts, and they, but The English Patient just seems to have been such a big hit in 1996, and then never was thought about ever again. So I think that's a really interesting, and I think that the reason that might be is that this is, it's interesting, this is a Weinstein movie, Mm -hmm. um, because this is very much, it's not, First of all, let me say it's not a bad movie. It is a good, well-made movie. It is like Oscar paint by numbers. It is like (laughs) (laughs) somebody got out an Oscar booklet and said, okay, um, romance, got it. Mm -hmm. Uh, War, got it. (laughs) Um, Death. (laughs) Forbidden romance, got it. Um, An airplane. (laughs) uh, Airplanes. (laughs) sweeping vistas you know um exotic locales and it was almost like they they looked back at like out of africa or dr zhivago and they were like hmm oscar really liked those should we um let's just do that you know and and that's kind of what it it feels like even i mean i know it's it's from a book it's not like this movie was made without with that intention necessarily, but the Weinsteins, this is the beginning of their reign, which lasts the next 20 years. And, um, until Weinstein mercifully finally goes down. Um, and this, you know, I, this feels the most Weinsteiny of Weinstein movies to me. Do you agree? I do agree with you. Yes, your comment of it being an Oscar's paint by numbers is very, very accurate. It just, it to me, when I watch this movie, I'd seen it before, so this was a rewatch for me. It really feels like a movie that's trying very hard. And you can see where, like, the manipulation is coming in, where it's clearly trying to get an emotional response out of you by including things like the forbidden love affair, the the death and, and all of that stuff. You know what I mean? It just feels like it's trying really, really hard. And I think a lot of that is in the structure of the movie. So for you, Rance, do you like the way this movie is structured? Um, I don't mind 
movies that cut back and forth at all. You know, I don't mind flashbacky movies. Um, I'm working on a script right now that's constructed around f- flashbacks, as I, yes. I've talked about with you. Um, but there's, to me, I think what's missing, maybe, for me in this, is it feels... Um, I mean, it's just so competently made. It's really hard to... And well-acted on top of that. Definitely. Um, I mean, Ray Fiennes is, is so good. Like, I just want to say that right off... I love him. He's a great actor. Um, he does... The, the makeup they put on him is fantastic. Um, he does a great job being the embittered person and the younger person at the same time. Um, and I think he and Kristen Scott Thomas have really good chemistry together. Very good. Okay. Um, there is something, I think, maybe it's in the writing or the direction that uh, this doesn't feel like somebody's story, like someone didn't live this experience. And so uh, this feels like, um, you know how when you're, when you take, uh, the very first thing they tell you when you take a screenwriting class is, you know, write about something you know. And I think that's my issue with this uh, romance. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like the um, somebody, uh, maybe the novelist or probably or the ad- adapter. It doesn't feel like a story that was theirs. I see that point. That's a good point. For me, it's like my problem with the way it's structured is that there's no relationship between the present day with mm-hmm. Hannah tending to him and the flashbacks of him retelling the story. it This, more than any other flashback movie, feels like such a gimmick. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. none of the characters in the present know any of the characters in the past. It really feels like two separate movies that they so desperately are trying hard to shove together and they mm-hmm. just don't complement each other, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's why it feels a little disjointed. And why I think, you know, two hours and 25 minutes in, you start looking at your watch and being like, when the hell is this over? Haven't we seen this part yet? You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Because because the logical thing would be like, she gets the idea that, you know, be with the person you love at all costs or something like that. You know, like mm-hmm. go, um, you never know when the person you love might be taken away with away from you so live every moment you know that could be the story but but that doesn't feel like what she's getting out of what she's learning with him you know no, and no. her I romance don't know what she is doesn't from feel connected yeah her romance doesn't feel connected because the logical thing to do story-wise would be to connect the two romantic mm-hmm. threads that are happening and parallel them in some way but it doesn't yeah. feel like that's happening and it feels like William Defoe's character is just in a completely different movie too. Okay, that that brings me to my next question. This okay, yeah. the, the most common critique of this movie, besides it being forgettable, <laughs> is it suffers from excessive length. Very excessive. So, my question is, what would you cut out? My point was, everything with Willem Dafoe. Gone, goodbye. Does not need to be in this movie. Is that what you think, too? I don't understand his purpose in this film. <laughs> There is none. Uh, and might I say, first of all, this is the sexiest I think he's ever looked. I sure. just want to say, he looks great in this movie. I don't know what it is, but I'm attracted to Willem Dafoe and The English Patient. But maybe it's just been too long since I have <laughs> known the touch of a man. But um, <laughs> but I find Willem Dafoe very sexy in this movie. But um, I, I just don't know... I don't understand... Because even, like, you know, his, what's taken away from him, his his thumbs, okay, like, that doesn't feel like it. it's connected to what was taken away from Ray Fiennes. Like, even Ray Fiennes getting burned so badly, like, I don't understand what the purpose of that was, because it doesn't feel like he's, lear- like he's learning something, because all he does is, spoiler, kill himself at the end. So, so what's the purpose of those journeys? You know, what are we, what are those characters learning and how are they connected? As you said, you know, it, it feels paint by numbers because it feels like we're adding in, oh, and dis, and he's been burned very badly. So we have this makeup. 
No, definitely. But I think what you're kind of pressing on here, too, is when you're adapting a movie from a book and a book that's as thick as The English Patient, you really need to leave stuff out to make the movie flow and make it more succinct. It seems like for The English Patient, they were refusing to cut things out, which is actually not true. The original cut of this movie was over four hours long, and there are some actors who filmed scenes for this movie that are not in the final cut. Like, there's over an hour of this film that was cut. So (laughs) thinking about this movie being even longer is kind of making my head want to explode. But it really feels like they needed to cut more. But maybe in that, because they insisted on keeping all the story threads, we probably missed some very important points that would have helped all of it come Mm -hmm. together. You know, You're right. some nuances that are maybe missing that would have that are pro- pro- probably present in the book. And that's maybe where maybe it's not in the writing. Maybe maybe it's just it feels impersonal because of all the stuff that was taken out of it. You know, definitely. Um, yeah. Not that I want well, I it any longer. Too. That's not what I'm asking to happen. I'm asking I'm asking to to focus. <laughs> the focus is right. And that's why I think. When you watch this movie, and for me, watching this movie again, I, I realized more than the first time I watched it that it's very clear what the more interesting storyline is. And it's the flashbacks. Everything between Ray Fiennes and Kristen Scott Thomas, their whole forbidden love affair, they have is such the meat good and potatoes of the movie. Their chemistry is phenomenal. they have such good chemistry, yes. But also, yes. in those flashback scenes, that's the only times in the movie where you feel a sense of danger, which I think is, which I think hurts the film because everything happening in the present during the war, there should be danger. There's a whole sequence where uh, the character Kip, played by Naveen Andrews, who is Hannah, um, Juliet Binoche's love interest in the, the present day, he has to like dissemble a bomb and whatnot. It feels very like, sudden and like we're oh we need to create some kind of tension now stakes stakes exactly exactly (laughs) exactly there are no stakes in the the whole present day portion of this movie and it just makes you when you when you cut back to the present it really just makes me go oh no go back to the past back to the past that's where the movie is and i honestly think if we're gonna talk about cutting stuff cut everything in the present just give us the movie in the flashbacks, told from start to finish. Because I will be or honest with you. Or not in flashback at all. Does... Well, exactly. It wouldn't or even be a flashback. In... Just told. Yeah. Yeah. Chronologically. Yeah. And ended yeah, because... with him, you know, finding your dead body. Exactly. But to the me, end. like, and I'll be very honest with you. The, the end. But honestly, that would make sense. Or even with him getting gunned down and burned in his plane and... Maybe that's where it ends. We don't you know. know. I mean? We don't know how it ends. We don't know. We don't know how. Don't... Yeah. Because listen, Ambiguous. the ending the ending of those flashbacks where he has to leave her in the cave, he runs back to find help, just to discover that she's passed away regardless. That is really emotionally impactful and it works. All of that works. But then and when then you cut undercut. away from that to him as a victim, it takes away all of the emotional heft. It just goes yes. away. Right? <clears throat> yes. You're right. You're right. You're right, Sam. <laughs> I'm right. I'm very passionate <laughs> about this. <laughs> it just makes me mad when, like, not mad, I guess, but it, it kind of, you know, frustrates me a little when you're watching a movie and you see that there's a good movie here, but they just try to do too much. I don't know. Filmmakers just try to do too much all the time. And simpler, in my opinion, is always better, you know? Marty! <laughs> Money, money. But this is not a complicated story. No, I said Marty, you know? Marty, Marty. Oh my god, I thought you said money. <laughs> yeah, like, but also no. money. <laughs> no, no, no. I meant Marty's a simple story that's ninety minutes long, and it does what it's supposed to do, and it gets out. You're so right. Thank God for that. Yes. Thank God for that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So let's get back into it. What do you think is the best scene, or the best part of this movie? What's your favorite part? Uh, um, I like when she um, uh, uh, discovers his his writing, and mm. and connects that he has the feelings for her, 
And I like it when she um, is wearing the the thimble, and he he mentions um, he mentions that, and she said, "You idiot! I've always I've always loved you." Yeah, I like that. I like that movie. i agree my favorite part comes from the flashbacks too and it's it's a part that i didn't remember when i was rewatching it but i found the part where they were suddenly trapped in the sandstorm and their vehicles get covered in sand i found that to be incredibly suspenseful and when they were furiously trying to dig up the other truck to save the other workers who were caught with them i found my heart starting to beat really fast i was like picturing myself under there and i was like thank god they tried to save these people and they do save them because that would be so scary and traumatizing (laughs) you know i never man i never imagined myself in that situation when i'm watching these types of movies because i'm never going anywhere near all of that sand so (laughs) not a concern for me that's fair that's fair okay so okay so are there any other are there any other wins uh that this movie got so are there um, of its nine wins are there any that you think it didn't deserve are you are there any like additional nominations you would give it do or do you think it's represented appropriately um i mean like it it won more than it should have let's let's make that clear um mm-hmm. bec- but uh, I'll tell you in a second what what should have won. I think we'll probably agree. Um, But um, I don't mind the acting when I think she's great. Julie Binoche. Um, And I... um, Let's see. The score is very good. I thought it sounded very John Barry-esque. Again, out of Africa is what it felt like it was going for. Yes. Um, and the technical nominations are, are uh, and wins are fine. I mean, cinematography is good, you know. Um, kind of surprised it wasn't nominated for makeup. Um, but uh, Nutty Professor's ma- makeup is actually pretty great. So Yes, it is. <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> that is kind of weird. I agree with you. I think it should be in the makeup category as well. I think you're right. Okay. Do we want to talk about what we think should have won? Correct. So obviously we both agree this is not our best picture winner of 1996. What is your best picture winner of the five nominees? Fargo. That is also my best picture winner. Yeah. <laughs> so of of all the movies of 96, is Fargo still your best picture winner? Uh yeah, probably. I think mm. uh I mean like are you going to give it to Scream? <laughs> I'm not going to give it a screen, no. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. My best picture winner and the best movie, in my opinion, of 96 is also Fargo. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, and I love I, that that's, like, not a movie we've talked about a whole lot this episode, but it is, no, I think, definitely the best of 96. Um, It was also when they did the AFI Top 100 movies first in 1998, it was the most recent film that was included on the Ooh. list. I love yeah, that. So, it was the oh, newest movie classic. on the 90, on the ninety eight list. Of course, it's been twenty six years since it was released now, but mm-hmm. um, it uh, yeah, I think um, I I think it's aged the best of these movies. Um, obviously, it's been made into a TV series since then. Joel and Ethan Cohen have gone on to have just uh, incredible careers. Um. And I think I like this movie more than I like the movie they ended up winning for. No Country okay, for Old Men. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I... Oh, that's tough. I do love No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really good, and I'm not upset it's at really one. It's good. We'll get there. We'll get um, there. That's a fun conversation to get into, though. I like that. Okay, here's another question for you. Um, if you take out The English Patient from the best picture category, what movie would you slide in to be the fifth nominee? Um, that thing you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, zero hesitation. <laughs> Doing that thing you do. 
There's a million reasons. Oh, God. I can't remember the rest of the song. Anyway, um... Oh God! Okay, mine is it's not so good. that movie. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the movie I would slide in is The Birdcage. So yeah, okay, that's fair too. Sort of. I similar, like The Birdcage really. as well. Yeah. No, they're not similar. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts on 1996, Rands? Anything else you want to say? Um, let's see. I, I turned eight that year, so. <laughs> You know, it was it beautiful. Was, it was good. It was a good year. What a time to be alive! <laughs> How beautiful! Yeah. All right, let's look forward. Let's look into next year. What we're going to talk about next week: the 1997 Best Picture winner. I don't know if you've heard of this one. Uh, it's a movie called Titanic. <laughs> no, I don't. Are you familiar? Is, is that about? Is that about the ship? The one... uh, actually, no. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> it's about a love affair, a forbidden romance, yet again. <laughs> no, no, no. Of course I know that movie. It's my favorite. Uh, it's such a great Kathy Bates thriller. Like, I... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Just so you know, a huge topic of conversation next week will be what would have it would have looked like had Reba McIntyre played Unsinkable Molly Brown because oh we know she was cast and then That's couldn't fabulous. do it at the last minute. I mean, hey, we might be seeing a different Best Supporting Actress nominee. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying her roots are planted in the past, but, ah! my, but her life was changing. Fa- I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yes, easily one of the most iconic American films of all time, Titanic, winner of 11 Academy Awards out of 14 nominations, tying the record for no nominees. What? But But. there is another that year. There's another one that that you love? There is a movie I absolutely love that's nominated for Mm. Best Picture next year. I see. And the debate will be: Will it will it be Titanic or will it be Miami Open Secret? <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I love it. This is gonna be a fun conversation next week because there's a bunch of other movies in '97 that I absolutely adore. Very excited to talk with you about them. So join us next week. We'll talk about the 1997 Academy Awards and the big winner, which was Titanic. All